0: This is 105.9 The Region, with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is Good
1: to Hear. I'm Kevin Frankish. When I was a kid, I loved my magazines, the Owl magazines and Chickadee magazines in particular. There's just something about having a magazine that is meant for you when you're a child. It makes you feel that much more special. But what happens if the people in the pictures in that magazine don't look anything like you? It's Black History Month, and I want to tell you about Black Girls Magazine. And it's just that. It is a magazine that young black ladies can look at and even participate in helping to write for. And I have the uh, publisher on the line with me right now, Annette uh, Bezira akafor Hi, Annette. How are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. Hi, Kevin.
1: this I never really considered this very much, that, that... you know, for, for a young black girl to be sitting in her bedroom and, uh, and enjoying the articles, but she sees in, in the ads and in the articles pictures of anybody but someone who is black. And that's got to be disheartening.
3: Yes, it is. It is. Yeah.
1: And, and so what did you, what, how did that make lead you to this magazine?
2: Um, It really started with my own kids and um, going to the library and always having a hard time finding books or magazines that had kids that looked like them, kids that they could relate to um, their hair, their skin color, things like that. And so we also went through thrift stores and online uh, books and, and all sorts of things just to find it, it took that much uh, time to just find something that my kids would love that um, represented who they were, would, what, who they what they look like. So that is how Black Girls Magazine was born. I had uh, my daughter uh, would come and spend time uh, with her friends. She would invite her friends to our house. And uh, so it was just a project, so we kind of started in our living room, and uh, we started writing. And I said, um, let's write and create stories about ourselves. And I borrowed some of the kids' magazines from the libraries, and we looked at them, and we said, so how do we take the stories that we love and uh, turn them into the kinds of stories that, that you would love to see and read that represent you? And that's how the magazine was born and I's been going since, and um, that was in twenty sixteen
1: and how is it doing now?
2: We're doing good. Um, we started out as a print magazine, which was really what we wanted to do. We uh, wanted to be able to for the kids to walk in the library and see a magazine that had kids that look like them and that they could pull off the shelf and say, hey, look, this is, you know, this is me. This is, um, I, I get this. Uh, but with COVID, uh, what happened is that we we switched over and we became an online magazine. We do hope to go back to print, but also keep our online uh, version as well. But in a way, it's helped. Uh, going online has also helped um, increase our subscriptions and orders. Uh, so uh we mostly are in uh, in libraries but um we started out with you know just uh, a few libraries uh, doing subscriptions and now we are over 200 libraries and school libraries as well
1: i know one of the first libraries on board was the uh, the von library
2: yeah they were the first ones
1: and uh it, 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 people can go in and 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 Read the magazine there, or they can subscribe to it at home. You also have a BGM Teen magazine.
2: the The teen magazine um, started after, so we started the the other magazine in 2016, and this is a, these are magazines written by the the content is written by the kids themselves. So the kids, when we started out, some of the kids were eight years old, and uh, all the way to twelve. And so that's how the kids magazine started. But as the some of the kids got older, at the time they were fourteen and fifteen, we thought, you know what, um, we need to uh they either stop writing, which we didn't really want them to do. So uh we started we started a different group for the older girls. Um so we said fourteen to seventeen, we're gonna start a whole new uh magazine with a content that is more fitting for a teen, a younger teen group. So that is how the teen magazine started. And we started that in 2019.
1: Now, the other thing, that, too, that you're very careful to point out whenever you do interviews is that even though the name of it is Black Girl Magazine, girls from from any race can can read this magazine and still enjoy it.
2: Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, we all grew up reading magazines from, especially, you know, black kids. What we are presented with every day in school, in the library, are uh, magazines with um, kids from uh, maybe mostly white, but also different walks of life. And we read widely, we read those. And a, a lot of times, these are stories, some of the stories are universal. And that's exactly what Black Girls Magazine is. Like we write stories that are written by from a perspective of a black girl, but these are universal stories because we go, we all go through the same, uh, you know, the same experiences in life. In terms of say, you you go to school and and you want to write about your experience in school, the kids you play with, and uh, so these are kids writing about their experiences. Wherever they go in school, about their friends, about their pets, about different things that anyone and uh, would enjoy, or even if you want to learn about culture, a different culture, where these kids are coming from and their backgrounds. These are things that we all need to know and learn and read widely because we live in a in a world that is a uh, mixed world. It's not just. Uh, you know, one world where everything is, you know, the same. It's it's different people from different backgrounds and different
1: cultures. Something that is so important to any kid is the feeling of belonging, the feeling of inclusion. And this is a huge stride towards that.
2: Thank you,
1: yeah. The other thing that it addresses, and and it answers a, a lot of people out there, are still in disbelief there is anything like systemic racism that that they think oh there's no there's no examples of that well this was an example of that it it, I it wasn't it wasn't intentional but it was no. it it was something that made someone not feel included and 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 again I say this goes a long way. To help solve that, but it does address the issue in our society of systemic racism, and we need to seek out these 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 things that are are doing this, and change them. And that's what you've done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times, yeah, it's not intentional. Uh, people are doing um, things that generally, um, you know, our, our education system is is very Western. And uh, it's very white, like, you know, it's not it's um, it doesn't really include other cultures. And a lot of times we don't think about that because we think, oh, this is the dominant culture. So we all have to aspire to be this way. And um, but then that also leaves a lot of people out who might not, for example, necessarily enjoy certain foods or they're used to, every. you know, we all grow up in different households and there's Chinese food, there's African food, there's Caribbean foods, and we enjoy those foods from different backgrounds. But we don't see a lot of that out there and uh, we just take it for granted that that's just how things are until someone points it out and then you realize, wait, wait a minute, this is, um, wow, this is different or, um uh um, perhaps, you know, it's it's not so bad and just being able to see and appreciate other uh people and and the whole idea that, you know, we can be colorblind, we don't have to be colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> we can still we can still appreciate other people, other backgrounds, other colors, other cultures and um and all live together, uh, without necessarily feeling that everything has to be you know, uh, from the dominant culture, that is what we are supposed to be doing. So all our books, for example, I don't my my kids want want to see themselves in the books that they're reading, or European history, or we need other histories that have also shaped the world, uh, African histories, um, histories uh, from the Caribbean. All those things have shaped the world, have shaped Canada, have shaped North America. Indigenous history has shaped Canada, and we need to. To, to get all that together. It's not just one um kind of history, which is European history mm-hmm. or Western
1: history. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so very, very true. I mean you mentioned the indigenous history, but I mean there's the history of, of the Irish that that uh that pop that really populated this country many years ago. There's a history of, of Italians. There's history of, of everyone yeah. and, and we should be exposed to all of that. And not only that, mm-hmm. but even even just some of the articles you know i was talking with one person last week that was saying that she was looking and looking for articles on suntan lotions and she's black but she could not find anything that dealt with suntan lotion for black skin every article she came across was for light colored skin and that's just practical right there
2: absolutely even even in even in science for example when you read um, this is things that you know you come across, and uh, they tell you, in like you going to the hospital, and for example, they tell you, oh, when you turn, when you start to turn white. Then you know that something is wrong, or oh. if you, but they, you, you're using a color that mm-hmm. I can't even relate to to tell me to look out for certain symptoms about how I feel and and what how I might be affected. And as simple as that might sound, it, actually I can't relate to that. I I can't relate to blushing, for example. I can't relate to my skin turning white if I'm cold or things like that. Right, so. Those are things that we take for granted, but but they they make they they, they make a big difference. And um, we all have different uh, skin colors. And uh, I do remember uh, recently I saw an article, actually, an artist who had uh, grown a picture of uh, a fetus in its mother's womb, and this uh, and. Uh, Everyone was like, whoa, this is interesting. This was a Nigerian artist, mm-hmm. and she drew uh, a fetus of a black child." And people in the in the, in the in the in the science community were saying, "Well, this is interesting because normally when you you know you, you see a fetus and you're talking science and all that, because he was a scientist, you don't usually see a, a black uh, you know a black or brown fetus. You usually see a fetus." Of a, of a child of a mm-hmm. white child in mother's womb and and everyone's kind of taken back and like, this is different. this is but that is a, that's our reality um, as as black people that a lot of times you are excluded yeah. and um, and most people don't see that as a as a problem because kids want to be able to see themselves when they, they see a picture of a mother. And a child, or when they see a picture of a family, they want to also see themselves represented, and can say, "Hey, that reminds me of my mom." That, but you might not be able to relate to that.
1: Exactly, and and I challenge. I challenge mm-hmm. anybody who may disagree with you. I challenge you to pick up a magazine, and count the number <laughs> of of white people represented. And the number of Black people Mm -hmm. represented. And I'm pretty sure you will find an extremely uneven ratio. And I'm glad to see that you're just trying to balance things out there. Most of Mm -hmm. all, it's for the children. This is not some huge political statement. This is for the kids. And I think that's wonderful. All right. And I should mention that you were from Vaughn.
2: Yes, I am.
1: Yeah. All right. I just, I should have mentioned that right off the top, but I was so interested in getting to talk to you because, after all, this is 1059, the region, York region. So yeah. we're proud that you are from Vaughn. It is blackgirlsmagazine.ca. And I encourage you to check it out. Thank you for this, Annette. Thank you so
2: much, Kevin.
1: Yeah. Annette Bezero, Akifor, publisher of Black Girls Magazine and Black Girls Magazine Team.
0: Good to hear. This is the good news. You can't say enough good things about the work being done by the Ontario SPCA when it comes to education, uh, making sure that animals are taken care of, and donations, and of course, making sure you have everything you need for adoption. But to that end, there's a great way to eat a cupcake and help the Ontario SPCA at the same time. That's what I call winning. Thrilled to be joined by Jessica Swarich from the Ontario SPCA Community Development Coordinator. Jessica, how are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's really good. Before we get to Cupcake Day, just give, fill us in, give us an update and everything going on with the Ontario SPCA as we're getting out of COVID and into throughout the rest of 2022.
4: Yeah, so right now I think we're just navigating just like everyone else is. So um, we're doing our National Cupcake Day campaign, which we always do um, for the months of January and February. So this year is no different. Um, And then eventually as things move through, I guess we'll just try to start doing in-person events, just like I'm sure everyone else is going to try to do once we're allowed to.
0: Well, you talked about National Cupcake Day. It's the 10th anniversary presented by Milkbone and Robin Hood. The 28th of February, you can go to nationalcupcakeday.ca array to celebrate Ontario SPCA, eat a cupcake and help raise money. Because when you think about it, in the 10 years you've been doing it, well over $4 million raised. That's incredible, Jessica.
4: Yeah, we we love this event. It's always a great one to do to kick off the year. We find that everyone really enjoys participating. And yeah, over $4 million to date is just so wonderful for animals in
0: need. So I guess for people not clear about where the money goes, where does the money go for the Ontario SPCA with the money raised from Cupcake Day?
4: Yeah, so the money goes back to our centers primarily for animal care. So it helps for pay for things like, um, animal food, their vaccinations, um, just being housed within our care. Everyone gets an individual plan, um, until they can finally be adopted into their forever home.
0: You can always go and visit the Ontario SPCA, the Provincial Education Animal Center at Woodbine Avenue in Stovall, not far from our house in Newmarket. We've been there many times. It's a fantastic location. And as well, the Markham Cat Adoption Education Center at Bayview Avenue in Thornhill. Are you seeing more of an increase in appetite and demand for your animals in this point of the year, Jessica?
4: Yeah, so right now we're doing all of our adoption process still virtually. Um, we've been doing that since July 2020, and it's been very successful. So basically, we encourage everyone to go to our website, Ontario SPCA.ca, to see all the animals available for adoption. We're not really seeing an increase. We've always had kind of a... A steady rate of people wanting to adopt. And um, like I said, we've been doing it virtually since July 2020. And, and we're just seeing kind of the same care that you've always seen gone into finding them homes and just finding happy homes for all of our animals and our adopters. We just love seeing that.
0: Jessica from the Ontario SPCA talking about National Cupcake Day presented by Milk, & Robin Hood, the 10th anniversary, February the 28th, trying to push that raise well over $5 million, over $4.1 million to date. Get all the details at NationalCupcakeDay.ca. Maybe one thing I've noticed, Jessica, through the pandemic is we realize how much animals mean to us in our lives and when it comes to mental health emotional health that uh, just that connection the undying love of that cat dog rabbit whatever your pet is how much it means to us
4: yeah exactly it's, it's great to see just the love of animals across all of our communities and um that's what we strive for right like i said just love to find them happy forever homes make our animals happy and make a family happy every day it's
0: wonderful how did you get into the spca jessica
4: uh, so I've always, I'm sure it's a little bit cliche to say, and I'm sure every single one of us will say it, but um, I grew up with always a love for animals and I couldn't think of a better organization to work for.
0: Is it one of those things every time you walk into work it, with seeing all the animals, it kind of makes you happy?
4: Yep, for sure, yeah. I, I can definitely say that I absolutely love coming to my job every single
0: day. Ladies and gentlemen, eat a cupcake, raise money for the Ontario SPCA, and save animals. It doesn't get much better than that. February the 28th, the 10th anniversary of National Cupcake Day, presented by Milk Bone, and Robin Hood. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for this. Thank you for everything you and your staff do to the Ontario SPCA, both in Stovall and in Thornhill. And uh, let's make some money, raise some money, eat some cupcakes. I can't think of anything better.
4: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. We look forward to how this campaign ends after February 28th.
0: Will do. Thank you, Jessica. Good to hear. We'll be right back on 105.9 The Region. Listen live at 105.9 The or 105.9 FM. This is 105.9 The Region with your stories the good news in our neighbourhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is Good to Hear.
5: Next on Good to Hear, we are joined by Daisy Y., MPP for Richmond Hill. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you very much, Tina. Tell us about your private member's bill, which recognises the nonprofit sector.
3: I am so thrilled to see all the responses, not only from the... uh, Like when I first introduced it, uh, it goes through three readings with unanimous support across all parties in the House, and then it immediately got the royal assent before Christmas. And this is scheduled every year to be the third week of February. So that's why it just happened on February 14th. So we do not have a lot of things, uh, a lot of time to organize things. However, the response is 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 unanimous. it's just very, uh, uh, we have a lot of responses, great responses. We have responses for uh, from the uh, not-for-profit organizations, um, including we have uh, people, like we have the team members, like from the United Ways, from the Ontario Nonprofit Network, as well as the Bayana Foundation, Uh, The Baena Family Foundation, all of them responses with a lot of not-for-profit and just say, it's about time we thank you for doing this. And not only that, what really touches me is a lot of the corporations responded. People like TD Bank, Royal Bank, uh, the RBC Dominion, TELUS, Shopify, like Quarter Airlines, the York Region McDonald's, a lot of, A lot of people responded. It's just exciting.
5: Now you said that the bill passed with unanimous all-party support late last year. That's certainly unusual, that, isn't it? Yes.
3: <laughs> um, but this is something of good course, and everybody see it. Mm-hmm. Like the not-for-profit, not only during nonprofit uh, non-pandemic time, they have been working very hard. If you can imagine somebody having a nonprofit organization, we are honoring, like this time, we're really honoring the professionals behind working on things, making sure they have enough finance, making sure they have enough volunteers, planning for programs, execution, everything. But if they don't have enough funds, especially during the pandemic, they cannot do a lot of fundraising. No fundraising events at all. And the volunteers, they cannot appear in person. That is holding a lot of things up. But yet, the requirements, the needs out there is immense. And that's why they continue to be out there. And it's about time to say thank you. Thank you for all they have done.
5: Now the nonprofit sector is a major contributor to the province. You know they serve millions of Ontarians every year in every corner of the province. I think our listeners would be surprised to to know that and to learn about that.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, we have like fifty eight thousand of them. We have over a million of people working and benefiting from this. Uh, we need to support them. Not only that, they are our key economic builder as well. They build a lot of our economy and they serve a lot of our clients' needs from seniors to young, from arts to social needs, anything, you name it. I cannot, if I want to list them all the things, it will take me like about two hours. So I just want to say thank you. And we know who they are because we have benefited from it. It is so easy to just receive and forget. But I'm now encouraging everybody, when you receive, it's time for you to say thank you very much. Whether it is a call, whether it is a card, whether it is seeing them in person, giving them a pat on the shoulder. But more importantly, as I say, they do not have fundraising events these days. So please, I appeal to all people listening, if you have been contributing, continue to contribute. You don't have to do more than what you have been doing before, but don't forget them and don't have to contribute only if they have a fundraising event. You can continue to contribute. It is such an encouragement for them.
5: Why was creating the Nonprofit Sector Appreciation Week so important to you? It
3: is important to me, as I say, I see what they have done, especially uh, during the pandemic. And we all said we've suffered for over two years, and they do as well. We, businesses, big businesses or small businesses, they are going through the same thing, except that they may not have the finance at all. I'm thankful that our government has been seeing this and uh, have been contributing. I was just talking to just two of the ministry. Minister Fullerton from uh, the ministry for uh, the MCCSS, which is for the culture, the children, The, the um, well, I try to remember the full name of it. I used to just say MCCSS, which is Ministry of Children, Community, and Social Services. She has uh, made sure that this this whole team realize what they need. They have provided five billion in funding for them, and the Ministry of Heritage, Sport, Tourism, and Culture Industries has provided 175 million to support over two thousand organizations. But this is not enough because. We know that most of the nonprofit organizations depend at least 50% from the community. It is not just the money that counts, it's the involvement, that participation. Really encourage them and make it work for them as well. So as I appeal, I want want you to work together, pull our hands together as a community and let them know that we're here working together with them and thank you for doing all they have. They have done a lot for our
5: community and for those who need their support. Daisy Y, MPP for Richmond Hill. Thank you for sharing the good news and the good works of the nonprofit
0: sector. Send us your good news stories at info at 1059theregion.com. This is good to hear.